This has been one of those services. It doesn't happen all the time where everything just builds together from my perspective in absolutely perfect harmony. And I'm grateful this morning to everybody who had anything at all to do with putting this worship service together. Particularly to Bill for inviting me to share the word with you all this morning. But while the young man was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. So he ran, he put his arms around him and kissed him. What a powerful image. Powerful image. Shortly after accepting his first full-time appointment, a young pastor put on his best suit and his clerical collar, and then he began to walk around the streets of this new parish to orient himself to that environment. It was an older, run-down part of a larger city, and as he walked about, he felt very much out of place. He felt vulnerable and uncomfortable. As he walked that day, he came upon a man lying on the sidewalk, apparently homeless and obviously drunk. The old guy looked at this young pastor in his clerical collar walking by. He sort of raised himself up on one elbow and he asked, Sonny, what do you know about God? <coughs> what do you know about God? My friends, that is a good question. What do we know about God? Well, without a word of response to this man, that pastor turned around and went quickly back to his parsonage. And there he took off the clerical collar and the suit. And all the while he was pondering that old man's question, not to mention his own sense of purpose and of calling. And he asked himself over and over and over again, what do I know about God? Some years later in one of his writings, this pastor would admit that if he had only thought about the parable of the prodigal son, that he might have been able to answer that homeless man's question, as well as to address his own doubts and fears, his insecurities and uncertainties. Time and time again, we hear the answer to that homeless man's questions through the marvelous testimony of the scripture and the witness of the church down through the centuries. God is like a shepherd who will leave the comfort of his home in the middle of the night to go and search 
for a wandering sheep. God is our heavenly mother. Think about that for a minute. Our heavenly mother, who is like that woman who turns her house upside down in search of a missing coin. And God is like a father who looks and longs for a wandering son and then runs to greet him when the kid finally decides to return home. An anthem today was beautiful and fixed perfectly, as I've said more than once, into what I want us to think about this morning. Because you see, in times like these, and I would say especially in times like these, we desperately need you and I and all of those around us desperately need to experience such a loving father, such a caring mother as we have in the Lord our God. And that is particularly true in a day such as today, amid all of the fear, the pain, the turmoil, and the confusion of which we have experienced so very much, particularly in this last year and a half. And folks, we need we desperately need to feel God's loving embrace around each and every one of us. You know, there's times when nothing heals quite like a hug. And it's not only true for young kids. We need to live that experience of the robe, the ring, the fatted calf. We need to experience God's amazing love and mysterious grace once again, not only for ourselves, but for the world around us. And I think that is at least one of the points that Jesus was trying to make in this story we very inappropriately, by the way, call the prodigal son. Inappropriate? This is a parable that's more about a loving, caring, and accepting father than it is about a miscreant son. It's one of the many instances that Jesus showed us that he doesn't have nearly as much a problem with sinners. He doesn't have as much of a problem with sinners as those who like to pretend that they aren't. This younger son in Jesus' parable had everything. Everything. He had the love of home and family. He had significant status and security, not to mention prestige and wealth. And yet, in spite of that, all he had wasn't enough. It just wasn't enough. He felt home and family were too confining. He was frustrated with the rules and regulations of the household. 
And he was tired of living in the shadow of that big brother. Kind of like Prince Harry. So like Harry and Meghan, he decided to take away what was his and hit the road. And he went about as far away from home and family as he could possibly get. Not only geographically, but emotionally. But of course, it didn't take him very long to discover that freedom isn't free. Or to find out just how very expensive wine, women, and song can be. In short order, he had blown through his inheritance, and as, a, as usually the case, when the money was gone, so were his friends. So cold and tired, broke and hungry, discouraged and alone, he finally remembered what it was like to be home. He realized that even his father's servants, what some translations of the scripture call slaves, had it much better than he did. Maybe it wasn't so bad at home after all. So hat in hand, as we sometimes say, and that's assuming he even had a hat, he started on that long journey home. Jesus said that when his father saw him coming, he was a long way down the road, but he immediately recognized him in spite of the condition his son was in, in spite of the difference. He recognized him in spite of the disheveled mess that he was probably in. And dad ran to greet him. All right, listen to that. Dad ran to meet him. Now, folks, knock it down. I want you to picture something. I got to get out in front of you for you to picture this. Number one, dad was at least middle-aged, if not older. Okay? Middle-aged and older people don't do a whole lot of running, do we? Roger Doty is a notable exception to, yeah, I see you, Wendy. <laughs> Cajun's got a word for folks like that, cool And it's exactly what it sounds like, crazy. But back then, everybody wore a robe and sandals. Now, can you imagine me trying to run down the aisle like this, I'm with you, Shirley, ain't going to happen. So in all likelihood, to keep him from tripping and breaking his fool neck, he'd have to hike up the robe and maybe tuck the back end of it on sandal feet and run down the road. You think Pop was glad to see that boy? I guarantee you he was. He embraced him, gave him a kiss, never mind how dirty the kid must have been or 
how bad he must have smelled. This miscreant child was given a robe, a ring, some shoes, and a welcome home party to beat all welcome home parties. And it all went to show that in spite of his aberrant behavior, he was loved. He was loved, he was appreciated, and he was welcome back at home. And whether he realized it or not, then or ever, he was always, always a part of the family circle. It's a beautiful story. A wonderful story of spontaneous, unconditional love, of joy, of affirmation and acceptance, warts and all, of the power of the family. Our environmental family, our extended family, our church family, da 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 You get the picture? To be a part of a family is to be accepted. But notice, notice that Jesus didn't end this parable with a, and then they lived happily ever after type of scenario. This is, after all, a parable. It's not a fairy tale, okay? You see, that father had two sons, two sons, and they were both lost, each in his own way. And it is entirely possible that this good son was even more lost than was the younger brother who ran away from home. Yeah, the kid broke the family bonds. That's not good. Yeah, he had left home to pursue a bohemian lifestyle, turning his back on his family and his upbringing. But at last he realized the error of his ways and he returned home, fully expecting to do whatever sort of penance he needed to do in order to become a part of that household once more. The older brother, on the other hand, like the scribes and the Pharisees, these uh, professionally religious folk to whom Jesus was really addressing this parable, by the way, they had not the faintest clue what love, what acceptance, or grace are really all about. You see, this older son thought that he could earn dad's favor. I mean, after all, he had stayed home and as he said in his own words, worked like a slave in his father's fields. But I'm guessing that he had never ever truly entered into a father-son relationship with the old man. He simply couldn't understand a parent's love for their child. He couldn't understand 
how his father could possibly accept this knucklehead of a younger brother back in the family once he had done so much damage. And so he vented his displeasure by refusing to go to the party. But as the later verses of that parable made clear, the father loved that older son just as much as he did his younger one. And so he tried to explain things to him, to encourage him to see things from a parent's perspective. He wanted his son to go to the party and to celebrate. After all, they had thought this younger brother was dead, and now all of a sudden he turns up very, very much alive. And so the older brother had to decide, would he join the family in that banquet of celebration, or would he storm away and sulk? He also had to decide what his long-term relationship with his father would be after all of this took place. He had to decide what his future relationship with his brother, if any, would be. And there, my friends, there the story ends. Rather abruptly, it would seem. But Jesus left that story this way quite intentionally. And he does so, listen to me now, he does so because he wants us to provide our own ending to that powerful story. What would the older brother do how long-term might that younger son's homecoming be? Would the healed relationship between father and wayward prodigal son continue? Would there be any kind of bond at all developed between the brothers? We decide these issues and, and many more for ourselves and for others in what we do and think, and particularly, I think, in the way we treat our brothers and sisters in the extended families of which we're a part. As I said a few moments ago, we are living through some very difficult and trying times right now. For most of us, toughest times we've ever lived through. And we are facing issues concerning our health, the nation's health, the worldwide health, with all the COVID and all of this stuff going on. We are facing issues concerning our relationships with one another politically, culturally, socially, racially, and even internationally. We're facing some very concerning and complicated issues involving our state, and particularly in how we will view our history and in how we will conduct 
our elections in the years to come. We've experienced challenges to our traditional thinking about our brothers and sisters who may look different than us, who may think differently than we do. We're facing significant issues about what our nation is going to look like for our kids and for our grandkids. Not to mention issues about the future viability of this world in which we live. We're facing some significant issues. So my friends, as I stand here today, I'm telling you, the COVID may be on the way out, please dear God, but we still are living in tough, difficult times. And we are facing difficult issues, issues that involve the church, the future, excuse me, the future of the church and of our church, both denominationally and this beloved congregation. Will be, we be faithful to the Old Testament mandates uh, reinforced time and time again by Jesus? You know what I'm talking about. The love of the Lord our God with all our soul, our might, and our strength. And incidentally, what was the second part of that? To love our neighbors as ourselves. Will we remove the log from our own eyes before we try to remove the speck that may be in our brothers or sisters? Will we actively obey Jesus' great commission? Are we truly willing to go into all the world to make disciples of Jesus Christ? Are we willing to baptize and to welcome everyone, everyone into the enfolding love of God and the amazing family we call the church? Of Jesus Christ. We remember, we must remember that God and Jesus are with us right here, right now, in every moment of every day, watching, watching all that we do, hearing all that we say, and particularly, I think, observing and yes, judging, judging how we treat one another, not only in the family of faith, but in the family of this world in which we live. Will it be with welcoming arms and Christ-like love? Will we truly live out what the United Methodist Church claims to profess anyway? You know, open minds, open hearts, open doors. And so, and so as Jesus did, I'm going to leave it there. What is the answer to that old derelict's question? What 
do we know about God? What do we think God is like? And what are we prepared to do about it? Those are significant questions, my friends, that we all are going to answer in one way or another. For you see, ultimately, when it comes to the end of this parable and so much more, you, you have to decide, and so do I. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit.